Da, 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 da. We still don't have a jingle. Can you can you do us a jingle? You're good at this kind of thing. There's no business like shut up and sit down. Business, I know. You are so fired. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 24th ever Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast all about board games, card games, uh, role-playing games, uh, anything that doesn't involve electricity, or sometimes when it does, we make up our own rules uh, constantly. There are no rules. There, but there have been no rules for 24 podcasts. So that is That could not be more true. Uh, Paul isn't with us, sadly, having not been seen ever since his convention special. He's probably fine. So I'm joined today, I should say who I am. I'm Quentin Smith, and I'm joined by the lovely Mr. Matt Lee. Hello. Hello, Matt. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here instead of Paul. Yep. Uh, hopefully you'll be as good, mate, or sort of, well, that's not going to happen. Potentially. Uh, mm. Not uh, different. Different. It's going to be a different po- different dynamic. Different podcast strokes for different podcast folks. Slightly more sexual tension as Probably. Well. The, we've got a great show for you guys today, which is more organised than you might be thinking right now. We're going to talk about the games played over Christmas. I'm going to talk about going to London's new board game cafe. We're going to talk about Last Will. We're going to talk about Pagoda. We're going to talk about another... Castles of Mad King Ludwig. There we go. All kinds of hot new games. And then we're going to talk about a very interesting game that I haven't told Matt about yet that a reader sent in. What? About murder. <gasps> and it's quite sexy. So we've got all that to come. <laughs> sexy murders. Uh, i tell you what was neither sexy nor a murder uh, was the game that you played over Christmas that is Flux. You yeah. Yeah. Fu- you finally got to try Flux? I did. Well, I played a bunch of stuff over, over Christmas. Um, I, I Very quickly, I'll say I played a lot of Sheriff of Nottingham, just mm. which completely solidified in my mind that it is a brilliant family game. I played it with multiple families. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like a travelling merchant. <laughs> yeah, you should... Yeah, run. let's run through this for uh, people who might have missed your review, who should go and watch it immediately, because this, this was one of the sleeper hits of last year. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, basically, the way it works... My little brother actually has a better name for it. He calls it What's in Your Bag, You Bastard, <laughs> which pretty much sums up the game. It's basically customs, the game, and you each take it in turns to be a customs officer and you have to get goods to market, but then, you know, you can either... You can actually, and I've seen people win it by just playing it straight and only putting legitimate goods through, but there's always a temptation to try and slip in contraband or things that shouldn't be there for extra money on the side. Now, see, you say that, like, the idea of spending the entire game just putting legal goods in your little velvet bag, and yeah. hanging it, which, in my head, makes it sound like uh, like you're actually in a queue at an airport being checked and there's never anything wrong. But it's not the case, are you? Because no, people are going to assume, no matter how innocent you are, that you're trying to do dodgy shit. And, I mean, the, the, the crucial thing, which isn't true in real life, is if... Somebody from customs checks your bag, and there's nothing wrong with the bag. <laughs> they, the customs officer, then has to give you money. Money, yeah. Which I'd love that if that was the case. That would Imagine be that going through Heathrow. I'm sorry, we've wasted your time, sir. Here's, Here's fifty pounds. <laughs> Why did we both go for fifty pounds though? Because that's the amount of money that I'd be like, wicked. Fifty pounds is like, yeah, that speaks really poorly of kind of our aspirations in Honestly, life. Honestly, no, fifty I, pounds is I'd the say, limit. I'd say if every time I was going on an international flight, if they had to pay me fifty pounds for giving me a pat down. That is win-win. It it's lose-win, but oh yeah, lose. I mean, it's win-win. Lose-win-win. I'd say whenever you're getting on a plane, it depends how keen you are on just a bit of human contact. Yeah, because you might be. But the, of course, the civil liberties is a loss. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's no. The thing I do want to say is that when you're uh, there are too many seats that they've overfilled the plane. Yeah, that I'm always fascinated by the amount of money they offer you to not take your flight. Yeah, because it's always something like. £110. And it's just enough that it's like, that's not really much money, 
But also, I want £110. It's like they've solved that that formula. They've worked out exactly what people will take. Yeah. Yeah. So you played Sheriff of Nottingham with a couple I of... I played a lot of Sheriff. A hit with old people, though. Yeah, it's a hit with everyone. I think it's a lot of fun. Obviously, like, I think what's most fun about it in a family dynamic, I actually enjoyed playing it more almost with my girlfriend's family just because I know what my, my family are like when playing games, but just watching uh, somebody's mum, like, kind of suddenly become this ruthless... Like it's the it's what people turn into, and it's it's pretty much like what I guessed in my review of it, and I kind of thought this is great because it's almost like a bit of light role playing where mm. everybody gets to take it in turns to be in a position of power, yeah, which is something that often in games you have to earn yeah. rather than just getting to take your turn at it. Um, it really brings out the best and worst in people, and it just makes people laugh. I um, mean, it's it's so funny because you immediately have all that power. You can interrogate your friends, and they have to look you in the eye. That's in the manual. They have to look you in the eye, whether they lie or tell the truth. And then that power collapses so quickly. You know, you can. I'll you, tell you what, though, an interesting thing I discovered because I mean, I've only been playing games with my family at Christmas recently because we didn't with kids, obviously, but recently only for a, a few years. Now it's become a new kind of Christmas tradition, which is nice. Um, but I, I can't lie to my mum. <laughs> yeah, like, you mentioned this. I can't what? lie to my mum. I don't know why. Like, I think it's because I've never really had a need to, like, to directly lie to my mum for a very long time since I was yeah, a kid. Yeah, it must just dig up a ton of, like, oh, sort just, of buried I, I, feelings. I, I, I can't do it. It's like, I try to do it, but I just start smiling. I'm just rubbish at it. I want to like, say... All if- of my abilities to, like to just look somebody in the face and bluff. <laughs> I'm very good at that now, mainly from playing games for years. I just can't do it. She just sees straight through me. I want to say, if I had to lie to my mum, she would take one look at me and she would fix me with a look of like, I'm not going to put up with any of your bullshit. Yeah, I know. And then you just... And then break. I would freeze up, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Is she just... Yeah, I mean, dad, no problem. Who Brother, was no problem. I can't mom. remember who it was, but someone told me about when they took the resistance back to their parents and their mum, who like... Was it you? Like It wasn't me. It was someone whose family... In, in this family, the mum actually didn't have an enormous amount of power in the usual family dynamic. Right, yeah. And then they played the resistance and she just ran like the most sinister gang of <laughs> like underground resistance fighters and everyone was scared of her. And then at the end, she's like, oh, well, I'll go and make some more drinks and leaves the table. And it was almost, it was so good as to almost be depressing that you get this glimpse into a world where that mum, you know, wasn't sort of like put down by like this patriarchal family unit and went on to be this badass boss. Yeah. But no, you well, only see it just... Uh, it's still, it's kind of fun to see it. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, also, I mean, I was using the app as well for the Sheriff of Nottingham, so you, it does all the counting for you at the end. Oh, I didn't know that oh, was an app. It's so good. Is, I mean, is it an official app? Yeah, it's an official app, and uh, it does that nice thing of being able to like go through each of the characters. You don't have to be like settle up one, then go to the next. You can just jump between them. And I mean, what I was doing towards the end is I was basically in the last round, kind of subtly getting the iPad out and actually just looking around the table because it's all open most of it. You can actually count up a lot of stuff. Mm. So you can be like, well, they're not going to get any more apples this round because they haven't. So you can basically oh, okay. you can kind of get ahead on the counting, which meant that the bit at the end where you have to work out who's won is like so much quicker and less painful. Which was the only thing about the game I really disliked. Um, so yeah, that reinforced in my mind that's a great game. Played loads of Skull, which obviously we talked about tons, but it's just a great, yeah, it's one of those games great, we can't shut up about. Yeah, but it's just a great family game, yeah. and uh, especially because. We found at Christmas, you know, some people have had too much to drink, some people have got a cold. Having something that simple that you can <laughs> play without trouble is pretty priceless. But yeah, again, I played Flux for the first time. And uh, 
I didn't Flux, know... famously, the, the card game which makes Paul so angry to even talk about. <laughs> I think in podcast number 17, you can hear him kicking a box when Flux wow. is mentioned or something. Yeah. It's the thing is, I couldn't remember what I knew about it. I just sort of thought, this is odd, Flux. This is clearly a really established game, because I was it looking is. at it and going... This is like, we play Pirate Flux. So I was like, there must be loads of versions of this. There are. I want to say it's been kicking around for about 10 years. There's Flux. It's like Munchkin, where they've reprinted Flux over and over with different themes. And if you like Flux, then an easy stocking stuffer. And God, I hate those words. But you can just get your friend who likes Flux another, another version, version of, of Flux. Flux. Yeah. And But I was like, this is weird. Like, how have I not really heard about this if it's clearly really established? And then when we started playing it, I kind of eventually thought... Ah, oh, maybe it's because it's very bad. <laughs> and I don't know, it's it's odd. It was like, I, I, I kind of tried to get into it, but it, so much of it, it really was just, just so random. Why don't you, yeah, perhaps the people at home haven't heard of Flux. Well, the way it works, and it's called Flux, because the idea is that everything is constantly in Flux. Mm. Um, the rules can change all the time, and you get to change the rules by playing cards. So how do you win Flux? Well, you win Flux by one of the cards that's on the table is your objective card. And that's what you have to do. Like It's basically a set of criteria. If you've got this and this, you've won the game. If you have a gangplank and a peg yeah, leg. Like, yeah, if you've got a parrot and a boat, like, and then you've won. So it means whoever player in front of them has those items like. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate, but if I had a parrot and a boat in real life, I would definitely feel like Yeah, I'd you'd won. be a winner already. Why would you need to do this, this game? game? Yeah. You, you've won. Yeah. Give it up. Um but yeah, like, the problem is that you, you put all these things in front of you, you collect your things, but then something random happens, which means you lose them all, or somebody takes them, or uh, and then suddenly like <laughs> somebody just plays a card and just changes the objective, which means, or they have to play a card because somebody else has played a card, which means they have to play all their cards, and they play a card which changes the objective, which somebody on the other side of the table already had that objective, like randomly. It's just like, oh, that's what I've got. I've won. and it, It's like playing bingo, even though you're playing like, in a ho- in like a game with like four or five people, it's like playing bingo in a bingo hall with like hundreds of people. American, if you're just like concentrating on your shit, trying to work out what's going on, and suddenly somebody else just goes, "Oh, I've won!" And you're like, <laughs> "Oh, I've won!" Oh, what? Like, and you have n- you don't see it coming at all. Paul was too polite to tell this story on a podcast, but I'll tell it for him because I have no shame. <laughs> but what makes him annoyed the most about Flux was um, uh, Will Wheaton obviously has a show on YouTube called Tabletop which where he gets celebrities and they play board games on YouTube and it's very popular but they played Flux once and uh, what Paul practically spits this when he tells this story <laughs> there's a bit where Will uh, Will Wheaton says um, like to one of his guests yeah there's basically no strategy so don't worry about that and so just kind of admitting live on no air game. that the game that they are playing is Bullshit. How do they even do that? Because I've not watched a huge amount of tabletop because I find it a bit too dry for my liking. But I, because I, a lot of it seems to be based on like kind of like uh, to camera stuff, like interviews in between about yeah, kind of diary room how the stuff. Fuck do you do that? With, <laughs> pardon my language. How do you do that with with flux? Like, uh, do you I have people going. Well, I'm going to try and do this, but then at the end of every to camera bit, going. But of course, it's entirely <laughs> random. Like, didn't work. Nothing. I matter. That, I mean, I if matter. we did that, that would be it. If we did a let's play of flux, it would be constantly. Cutting I kind of want to do a tabletop spoof of flux now. <laughs> well, I'm trying to do this, but of course, it's entirely irrelevant. I don't know why I'm here. Uh, that'd be good. What's gone wrong with my life? We could all be Sean Bean again. <laughs> I would watch. I would watch tabletop if we were all. If, oh, if imagine if we had Sean the money Bean to actually hire Sean Bean and do a, a Sean Bean quest with Sean Bean. Well, you know where he plays all the characters. Oh shit! That would be that would basically be alone in a room by himself. It'd be one of those plays where you're like Locke, you know, the new movie where there's only one actor for the duration. I think after his O2 uh, advert gig, he's probably quite expensive these days. Oh yeah. 
But uh, anyway, well, I think what it did remind me of, though, actually, playing Flux, was I kind of, first of all, I thought, God, this is just bad. But in a polite way, because somebody else had got it out, obviously. Um, who obviously liked it. Sorry if they're listening to that bunny freak chance. But um, it reminded me of, like, how much I enjoyed Cosmic Encounter. Mm. Um, just because Cosmic does have that kind of, that element of things being in flux and you think that you're about to win, then something happens. Yeah. And, and like, there's that element of randomness, which some people really don't like about Cosmic. A lot of people who don't like it think that that's a problem and go, oh, I can't stand it. It's too random. Yes. Uh, whereas I think, I think that's not true at all. I think no. to me like flux, there's no game. Whereas <laughs> in Cosmic, well, there is, but Cosmic is about controlling chaos. Yes. I mean, this has been a millstone around our necks ever since we pretty much, I mean, Shut Up and Sit Down tends to come down quite hard on games where players don't feel like they're in control or uh, systems which are implemented by a designer that you then don't feel mastery over. Meanwhile, we just posted our top 25 where Cosmic is top game, spoiler, and Cosmic is is nothing if not that I'm playing a card out of my hand. No, there is a card that says like Cosmic Zap. You ignore a rule in the game. and uh, But that is okay fundamentally because um, there are an extremely limited number of those cards in the game and in the deck. You don't have to learn much. And then once you know that they exist, they come up as surprises. Absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah. that's the thing is, is like you can just break the rules and there is that element of that card, 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 yes. that silliness of one card trumping another card, breaking another card. And that's sort of what Flux is supposed to be based on, I think, mm. this idea of like, oh no, you can't do that because I've done this. Yes. Whereas the thing is, in a game of Cosmic, that will happen maybe once in a game because yeah. people will be holding on to their best cards. Yes. And then something will kick off and it will be like, zap, 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 zap. And everything will fall apart but then that can't happen next turn because all of the interesting cards have just been burnt in one like cascade of yes. madness it reminds me of Kill Dr. Lucky which is a game that I don't like that much but this is an old cheap ass game that I don't think you've played but um, people are running around a board trying to kill this Dr. Lucky it's a bit like Cluedo if Cluedo was inspired by Home Alone so <laughs> someone plays a card it's like oh Dr. Lucky falls through a trap door and then you go round and clockwise from that player it works great with like 8 players and players have to try and stop the attempt so Dr. Lucky will survive about 40 murder attempts over the course of one <laughs> evening. But, you know, players also want to hold these cards back because these are the same cards that let you try and kill Dr. Yeah. Lucky. So a player will go pass, knowing that someone else clockwise will catch it. But then maybe half the players pass, the remaining half might not actually have the card required. So it's kind of like Blackjack instead of, rather than just saying hit me, it's, it's someone else's responsibility. But it's a good example of a game being categorically that uh, now I'm dropping a card from my hand and you can't do what you were going to do, but making it into an actual game. Yeah. And this is the thing. Like, Flux goes heavy on the, no, card zap bullshit that you didn't know I was holding, but doesn't have a game underneath it. It's bizarre. I don't understand why anyone would want to do it. It was just like death. No. Anyway. Um... <laughs> well, I do definitely, now you mentioned Cosmic, though. This is a nice segue because... Mm. Holy crap, we started the year, I thought it would be a nice start to the year to, you know, when you, me, Brendan and Pip met up to start playing games and reviewing stuff for the year, we played Cosmic, because it's Jan... Expansion and Annuary. Expansion and Annuary, yes. Uh, and so we're going to be reviewing the Cosmic Encounter expansion. I can't believe you almost got the name of the month from I know, it's crazy. Uh, happens every year. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but, oh my God, it was nice to... Make, I like it. it. I mean, I, I, I like Cosmic all around but um, I do like the, the problem is sometimes is it's always such a game that I want to get people into that you always end up being like oh you've not played this before okay well I guess that means we can't play with all the fun mad yeah stuff. but this was absolutely the opposite because we just played with all the nonsense trying yeah. to test all the expansions and the main and it was so nice because it justified us putting it at number one in the course of one game yeah. because the thing I need to tell people the, the thing to know about Cosmic is that 
everyone has an alien race which breaks the game. So imagine how our game went down when it was revealed quite early on that Matt, Matt's power was warpish. Why don't you describe what the warpish oh, alien is? Oh, it's so does. good. Basically, I had the ability that whenever ships get like killed in the game, and again, um, it's fundamentally a war game where everyone has 20, yeah. 20 ships. Everyone has 20 ships, but every time you lose a ship in a battle, they're not completely out of the game. They just go to a place called the Warp, which is like this collective graveyard. It's a, it's a bin, really. It's basically a bin, but it can be flushed. And often in a game, it is flushed, so all of the ships that are in there will then come back out and go back to their owners. But still, generally, up until that point, you have this thing of the area gradually getting filled with like you know debris of dead ships, and then... Yeah, people start to get weaker in terms of their armies. I had the ability to, in a fight, which is always based on playing cards and adding the number of ships in the encounter, well, you can only send in four in a battle anyway. Mm-hmm. So usually it's like, oh, four against eight, maybe. Oh. <laughs> I had the ability to just add the number of all of the ships in the warp to my battle score, yeah. which meant like at one point it was like 25, 30 ships in there. So it's like, <laughs> I get plus 30 right. every fight. Meanwhile, I've got an alien called Grumpus, and I have the otherwise quite good power that I can get really grumpy when one of my colonies is destroyed and obliterate ships on the that same planet. That messed me up so much, though. It did, but still, I didn't. I was a grumpy alien, defined by being grumpy, but I didn't want to be grumpy, because if I was grumpy, more ships would go to the warp. Pip's power, the cudgel, could utterly obliterate ships, just smash them. And she also, <laughs> same as me, desperately tried to not be the alien she was, because it meant more ships go to the warp. Yep. And in the middle of this like relatively balanced triumvirate, you then add Brendan... <laughs> And Brendan, it turned out, was the winner. And the winner's power is if they win a fight by enough. So if Brendan could throw enough shit at anyone, then he can get more colonies and basically win the game. Yeah. So you have an alien that gets stronger the more we fight, an alien that wants to fight and win by huge numbers, and two aliens who don't want to fight at all. And it was just laughable. It, like, was, it was mad, and it was brilliant, because... It did that classic thing that all games of Cosmic do. It just ended up being this this race where everybody gets to about four. Yeah, we all ended points. up with four out of five colonies. It's the way it yeah. works. And the thing is, I think the difference is, is with a game like like a more random game, you don't know who's going to win and somebody wins and you go, oh, I won. That's it. Whereas with Cosmic, people complain that it's not fair. It's like unbalanced. And that's true. It isn't balanced. But it's it's up to the players to balance it. Yeah. And generally speaking, it meant that in the end, I got super lucky and I won that game. <laughs> yeah. But that was insanely lucky because for the whole game, I had a, like no points. I had like one point for the whole game because nobody would let me do anything. Yeah. Because it was like you're the bad guy. You're. But then the thing is, there could have been another another race which would have made mine useless somehow or like. Yeah. And then it's the thing of like, it immediately paints it as being like, that guy's the bad guy. Don't, don't ally with him. He's I the mean, bad guy. The game in Cosmic, like half of it at least, is telescoping and trying to, looking at someone's power, looking at the cards, their situation, whatever space stations they've got, all this nonsense you can have with the expansions and going, how powerful is he? Because it's all about that asymmetrical start. And then guessing how powerful they are and expressing that to the other players. Because if you think they're weak, yeah. you can ally with them. If you think they're strong, holy shit, do you ever have to stop them? Where it is, I mean, it is a lot of it is actually about that. Is like you, you can never, you're very rarely in actual control of the game. You can't be like attack them because there's only there's one race that allows you to choose who you attack, but that's like obviously rare. Yeah. Um, most of the time, you just get, have to go and attack wherever you're told to. But it means like your success throughout the game is going to be like largely down to like 
who allies with you and when, or even if people mm. choose to ally against you. Yeah. So sometimes like you can win battles purely by appearing to be fearsome so that other people don't want to go and help defend because they don't want to lose yeah, ships. which is great. It's so much of it is this psychological mind game. God, I, I remember the game we played before when, with great joy, I revealed that I was the parasite. And it, by the way, if you don't, map... Uh, tip me off to this but there's an, uh, a module in the back of Cosmic Encounter where you only reveal your alien when you use its power and that is much better because you're all playing you have <laughs> you no idea number, yeah. what the galaxy is full of and then you get the heroic dramatic reveal but yeah so I was the parasite which can ally with anyone when they're invading uh, and the player in question doesn't have a choice about this and I took so much glee in going I'm coming along for the ride I think it took about 15 minutes for the rest of you collectively to beat the shit out of me so yeah. hard yeah. that I immediately lost my power yeah that's the thing and it is it's that's what's so clever about it I think sometimes maybe people who are a bit more mechanically minded uh, and enjoy a kind of much more kind of uh, numbers based strategy games like kind of look at Cosmic and go I don't like that because it's almost like it's like trying to control a bag of cats. You know, yeah. it's like there isn't enough formula to it. It's too random. And I agree with that. But then you realise that, that the other half of the game is a mind game. And it is convincing the other players mm. that somebody else is the one that should be getting crushed. <laughs> I mean, you can get good at it. And that's kind of the end of the argument for me. Can you be extremely good at Cosmic Encounter? Oh, yeah. You can be really good. You can know cards. You can play your cards exceptionally well. You can play people's like minds off against each other exceptionally well. And that's the end of the argument for me as to whether it's too random. Because... You can go up against a good player. I mean, that's it. When we when we played it, I know I managed to get this incredible power with Warpish or whatever. The only reason I won that game was because I spent the entire game successfully managing to convince the rest of the table that there was no way I could win. <laughs> because everyone else was on like four points and I had one point. And so I was like, let me help you. There's no way I can win. Yeah. And then through a freak chain of events, suddenly it was like hang on a minute, <laughs> I can win. We should, uh, oh God, anyone who enjoys this cosmic chat uh, can look forward to next week on will be, next week will be basically Cosmic Encounter Week. Matt and I are going to review all the expansions and then we have nice juicy Let's Play on yeah. Friday. Yeah. If you don't like us talking about Cosmic Encounter, look at a different site next week. Yeah. Like, um, I like Zombocom. Zombocom, Zombo, Zombo.com. What's on that? It's great. You love Zombocom. It does everything. You Honestly, you'll love it. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's mysterious. The, only, the last thing then I uh, did over Christmas was I went to London's new board game cafe because apparently now every major city in the world needs a board game cafe. And this is called Drafts. You can go. Like like Drafts, like Checkers, like DR. It's a pun because they it's also serve beer. They serve lots of beer. And I was stunned when I walked in because it was basically an episode of Skins. And Skins, if you're not aware, it's a deeply unrealistic show on Channel 4 here in the UK where incredibly good-looking teenagers take drugs and have sex and it's all very raunchy. But no one's teen years are actually like that. But Drafts is! <laughs> Everyone in Drafts is... He's having sex and taking drugs? No. Doesn't sound like a board game cafe at all. No, but they were very pretty. It was just loads of really pretty people aged between 20 and 28 having fun and playing board games. And I was... Teaching uh, Zia Legends of a Drift System, which is this big space board game to my friends. I'll be reviewing that later this week. But while I was teaching it, there were so many tables around us going, yeah, like just because something happened in their game. And I was teaching it, it's like, son of a, well, now we have to have more fun than them. Okay, come on, let's finish <laughs> these rules. I don't want young, sexy people doing the things that I like to do. Oh, you do? It just reminds me that growing up, there was nobody doing the things <laughs> I like to do. Yeah, but it does make you feel better running a board game website when you go in and you're surrounded yeah, by brilliant. young people great, playing board games. I, I want to go down there. I've heard good things. You totally should. The lighting's not great. They're going to be fixing that. 
and uh, you probably shouldn't go on a Saturday night because it's just full. Yeah, you were saying because it's uh, the venue's quite small, isn't it? The venue's big. The fire restrictions. Basically, ah, right, yeah. draft is amazing, but if there's a fire, apparently everyone is going to die. So there's a thing where where to go though, eh? Oh man, you'd be you'd, the smell of all that delicious cardboard, meeples, uh, meeple inferno. It, board games would burn really well, wouldn't they? They would. They would. That's our. That wasn't even a pun. That was an accident. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking that's our get out. That's our get out plan. Yeah. It was like an episode of EastEnders or Coronation or something like. Oh, the, the shop and sit down. Factory is burnt down. <laughs> oh, it's a good job it's insured. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's our secret get out plan for. Uh, yep. The, when we shut the site. Gonna down. make millions. Make millions of meeples. Pennies. <laughs> uh, no, categorically going into drafts. Uh, we're going to be doing an interview on those guys and getting information on like. The mistakes they made setting up a board game cafe. Uh, we'll be doing that when we have a moment. But until then, Jesus, go if you live in London or you're visiting because it's great, man. Cool. And they have gurus like Snakes and Lattes in, in uh, Toronto, whereby you go in and you go, I don't know what to play. And they go, well, you should play this. And they teach it to you. They teach you how to play. They teach you how to play. That's quite impressive. They must have quite a lot of staff then. If you can they that. have a couple of floating gurus and then a couple of uh, bar staff. They were actually they want to open for longer hours every day, but currently the people who own it are working there constantly, so they're just they need to sort that out first. Yeah, of course. That's kind of gonna drive you insane yeah. after a while. But they do seem very happy. And there's food there. Food, beer, games, God. That sounds really good. It is. I wanna go. I wanna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. <laughs> Goodbye. Matt, I'll, I'll go. Matt. I'll go another time. Okay, good. I'll finish the podcast. Uh let's move on to the meat then of this board game. Pudding. Yes, this board game Black Pudding, which is all the cool new games we've been playing recently. Oh boy, oh boy, we've been playing some cool new games. We've been playing some hot stuff. We uh, have. Uh, we've had a really good patch of it. I felt like, we, not a huge amount, but it felt like there was a lot of time last year when we were playing stuff, and it was just like, oh, this is all right. It's not, <laughs> a lot of stuff just didn't really enthuse us personally anyway. Yeah, I think if people want just one reason to get excited about Shut Up and Sit Down in 2015, it's that last year we were getting sent so many games, and I was trying to get us to play all of them. That was dumb, because... Loads of them are very good. Um, yeah, I think that's the problem is you have to, it takes like half an hour to read the instructions yes. and then an hour and then, to play. And, and plus and that's not just one hour because you have to multiply it by the amount of people that are yeah. there playing it. Yeah. Um, but no, I find that through using the internet and reading the manuals and doing some dummy turns myself, I can separate the wheat from the chaff and I'm just going to get us playing stuff that I good stuff. hope is really good or that I hear is really or good. Or stuff that's potent- got the more potential to be good. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, God, where do we start? Well, yesterday we played like... Multiple games mm. of uh, Czech Games' Last Will, which came out a couple of years ago, but I got the feeling like Arctic Scavengers. Like, turns out this is a game which is great and I think has been kind of not getting the hype it deserves. Do you want to walk people at home through right. Last well, Will? Last Will's great because your uncle's dead. Hey! Yay! That's genuinely how the manual starts, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I love. It's a, It's kind of... Basically, the idea is your uncle is dead. He's left you some money, but there's a bigger pot of money for the person who can... And this is where it gets a bit hard to understand. Basically, <laughs> the general gist of it is you are a bunch of siblings or like you know relatives of the uncle, and you're all horrible people. Mm. Because what your uncle has done is he's realised on his deathbed, he's gone, oh, I, w- I wish I'd enjoyed my life more. I've got all this money, but I haven't really enjoyed my life as much as I should have done. I know what I'll do. I will give my fortune to the person who knows... How best to enjoy life. Easy. Who knows how to like enjoy money for what it is. And so the way he's done that by saying, the first person to spend all of this money will have the rest of my money. <laughs> Which is a lovely sentiment in a weird way. But then, of course, the game itself then ends up being, 
you trying to flippantly spend as much cash and burn through cash in the most efficient way possible uh, in a way that ends up like being just silly. It's mad. It, it has so much in common with um, a lot of kind of European style games where you're trying to set up an engine, you know, where you've got, you're buying cards that then go in front of you and the cards will let you do things with other cards. If you played Race for the Galaxy or, you know, Agricola, like uh, these kind of games, you'll know roughly what you're doing here. Except those games are often about gaining resources, then reinvesting those resources. Now, yeah. Last Will is like, you've got this money, blow through it. Yeah. And it's about how many hours there are in a day. It's about incredibly wonderful rules to do with property as well. Yeah. Property I, w- I would probably describe first, just to give people an idea of how the system works. Sure, sure. So um, you can buy a house or a farm or a townhouse or a mansion, and that's great because immediately you blow through a large wad of cash, then you can pick that up, and then the problem is now you've got assets. Now you have assets, and you and you haven't technically lost the money. You lost all your uncle's you just money. Invested it exactly. So how do you lose money? Well, there's a couple of things you can do. <laughs> the, I think in the first game we played, and the, and then you tried this as well. A great tactic is to buy an expensive farm, fill it with horses, and then maintain it because maintaining a farm is really expensive. <laughs> yeah, and then. Ideally, you want to get an estate agent in who'll get you a really shit deal when you resell the farm to the market. You basically want to... It's like the opposite of common sense. You want to buy properties because the market is like a shifting thing and you can... In the classic worker placement thing... Although I'm not, I'm not fond of worker placement games, I've got to be honest. No, I think there's been a lot of burnout as well on Shadow Puts It Down uh, side of things. Yeah, I've not played that many of them, but I've just never been that blown away by them. But mm. with this one, I like the fact that there are less spaces where you can put the people. Yeah, we should clarify the... Um, the worker placement is only one part of the game. Yeah, you kind it's of, quite a small part as well. Yeah, you have essentially a few errand boys that you can send running around town um, to give you extra cards, or to you can send them to the opera to lose some extra money, or to adjust the property market. And then a lot of and after that, you have a phase where you're playing cards onto a board and playing more cards and generally trying to blow. I think money. what it really works about it though, yeah, is you've got this whole system of like you can get really into the housing system, and you can either be like. You can either have an errand boy repeatedly adjusting the housing market. He's a good guy. I don't know how he does that. I mean, he's a skilled young lad. Don't ask, man. Um, but then you can be buying houses when they're too expensive and selling them when the market's terrible, just so you'd be like, oh, I lost I lost eight pounds on that sale. That's yeah, great. We should clarify this is a Victorian kind of 19th yeah, century. So, or you can just like, you know, what you can do is you can keep maintaining your house full of staff. You can hire loads of staff, get a chef and all these things, and then maintain this expensive mansion. Or you can do the opposite. You can buy a really expensive house and then just leave it to get degraded yes. over time and just leave it so it just gradually falls into disrepair so that yeah. when you sell it, it's not worth anything. God, so there are several systems all competing for your attention, all of which are viable strategies. There's the property we've mentioned um, on your player board, which has painfully limited space, yeah. which is kind of, I guess, I think of it as like your free time, like what you're able to focus on in your portfolio. You can have friends and people, you know, old school chums and... Uh, yeah, old friends will come and help you spend your money. Yes, exactly. Which so is lovely. An old friend you bring on, then he gives you more actions each day to go for events. And then um, you also have whiteboarded cards, which are kind of one-shot ways to spend money. <laughs> yeah, like... like going, going on a boat ride. Going on a boat ride or going to a restaurant or a party... And they scale up though. You've got one of the things like you can have a soiree, which is a bit of money, or like a ball, which is lots more money. Yep. Oh, I God. love the fact that one of them was like, was it like raucous party or something? Oh yeah, which is which, a it's like a hugely expensive party that trashes one of your manners, <laughs> which is great because then you can sell them. Yeah, you're like, yes, I've completely destroyed my mansion. And finally, on top of all of this, all of these relatively simple systems that just work together like cogs in a very well designed machine, you've got a fourth deck of cards, which is kind of 
companions, which is a deck of dogs, chefs, kind of love interests, like sort of sort of sexy companions and horses. And then these can be spent to, I, I think, I enhance. What did I? I bought a mansion, then installed a girlfriend in it, so that was great because she cost lots of money. But then you can also, but then, but then, well, the funny thing was, it was things like going to the theatre, but then you can add a horse to that. To cost money. <laughs> but then the idea is like that. I guess that you've you've had a horse-drawn carriage to go to the theatre. But yep. we like to joke that it's like you're taking a horse out to the theatre <laughs> because like, why not? You care to come point? to the opera? <laughs> I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> I think, what was it? I just had dogs run. There was one game where I had a pair of dogs in my hand for the entire game and I had no use for them, which again, I love the idea. My, I come what home every day. Dogs? What am I going to do? They're not using any money at all. Oh, wait, I can take them on my boat with me. Great. That'll cost a few quid. I got to say, what I really like about uh, Last Will is the fact that in a lot of these games, like, you know, when we were playing like Russian Railroads, which was uh, my incredibly bad first foray into Eurogames. That was it's not an incredibly bad game, it was just an incredibly bad first game. Yeah, it was dropping you into the deep end of European-style board games with, like, lead weights, with an actual <laughs> railroad, like, tie it. Blindfolded, gagged. Yeah. I was immediately at the bottom of the Thames. Uh, but no, with that, it was it was so mechanical. Like, it was like, what do you want to do? Do you want to focus on this railroad, this railroad, or this railroad? And the decisions you were making were purely, like, what is the best number? Mm. Whereas... There's still an element of in this, but I love the way that the different strategies you can take are all thematic. And I love the way there's a real variation within that. So you can either be like, I'm going to be a terrible property dealer. <laughs> I'm going to lose loads of money on the property market. Or you can be like, I'm not going to bother with property. I'm going to like just make loads of friends and go on loads of expensive trips. I'm going to go on boat rides, carriages. I'm going to like just basically just not invest in any assets. Um, and obviously with the expansions, that with expansion, oh, yeah, no, we'll get, to, we'll get that. to that in a minute, that it adds up the theme even more. And I just like the way that you do feel like you're having your own madcap little story in your head of, of how you're doing it. And also the thing I really like is the fact that often I find with this sort of worker placement game, um, you end up, as you say, building these machines that, well, usually earn you resources, but in this time <laughs> you're using it to burn your resources. Yeah. But I like how, because the game is quite fast and because the nature of the game changes towards the end because it's like it's quite easy to spend all your initial money but then you've got to get rid of your assets and yep. then you get money back for selling your that houses was... and then you have to spend that money you end up having these little machines that you make but the machines are quite simple because as you say you don't have much room for placing cards yep. and also you don't keep them for very long so yes. I find sometimes in those games it gets a bit of a headache because you end up like building these increasingly elaborate point earning machines whereas in this you build some simple machines use them for a couple of rounds, yes. and then you scrap them because you're like, oh, I need to get rid of that because it's an asset. It's cost. It's going to cost Or me. I need a slot on my board. You yeah, know? yeah, I have to get rid of the school friend so I can have another Something else. Yeah. manner. Yeah. So it meant it never really became a headache and it kept the game quite, kept the pace quite varied. It's definitely the theme on it as well that you mentioned is the... It's the most luxurious theme that I've ever had in a Euro game. Like, so many cards are just laugh out loud funny, but, I mean, the language on them is still expressive, you know? Yeah. It's a game as well that needs no text. You know, so often funny game, funny games will have, like, entire reams of text on a card telling a funny story or describing the thing. In Last Will, you just get a picture, and the picture does say a thousand words. Like, I, I can't remember a game laugh, making me laugh more than when we played for the first time and I hadn't looked through the decks and it was towards the end of the game and we drew a card that just read, 
it's a thing you can play on your day. And the card just read hectic day. Hectic day. And you can get a hectic day and it gives you more actions, essentially. You can have a really hectic day if you want to. But the picture on it was like a, a shot from behind. So he's clearly pedaling off into the distance of a guy on a penny farthing yeah. with like a horn in his mouth. Like he's sort of... <laughs> just being like, get out of my way. Yeah, get out. Like, and just and it's the fact that like you, you know that it's like he's speeding around town with a penny farthing, spending money. Trying to spend money. Looking for ways to spend money. money. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just wonderfully stupid. Yeah. And it reminded us when we were playing it a lot of Ladies and Gentlemen, except like the thing with Ladies and Gentlemen is it's kind of at the end of the, the day, it, you feel like it's trying to make a point of sorts and the fact that it is like, it is about the era and for me I always say it's the fact that the servants are like the least worth nothing. Yeah, which is It's huge. kind of like a bit dark and it is supposed to be making like not making a strong point but it's definitely got something to say whereas this doesn't have anything to say but it's just so funny yes and ladies fun. and gentlemen is like one long drawn out joke but this is just a farce from like start to finish and I just love how you you don't have the thing of being like time to get jealous about other people like oh you've got farms you're making you're spending all your money on farms <laughs> but then you've got something else and then they have to get rid of their farms and it it's just frantic it's you know as well after playing board games for three years where getting money is good I would ha I found my brain locking up in the funniest ways because there's this great rubber banding thing where a player can, you know, buy all their properties and get down to almost no money and sell them and suddenly they bounce back up and they're not winning anymore. But uh, I would sell properties and get tons of money and I'd be like, yes. Wait, no, that's bad. Yeah. No, I'm trying to get rid of it. <laughs> Bollocks. Ah. Which is... It was really funny and I think, like, having played it a few times it's like there's so many so many varieties of ways you can make money that after after playing it twice once with the expansion and once without mm. like it did just I just want to keep playing it I wanted to like try again and just go nuts for like farms or something yeah. like it's like oh ponies and having just breeding endless ponies and dogs and trying to take care of your stables I just like the way that it, it it really rather than just gradually building up this machine it's about building tiny machines and then using them and then tearing them up and yeah. the whole game is about deciding when when are you going to do yeah, that? Yeah, when do you tear it up? That's, and that's a much more interesting question. Like, this is really efficiently is making your money, but you need to get rid of it. When are you going to get rid of it? Like, yeah. And it's like, ah, I'll get rid of it in a minute. It's like, <laughs> well, maybe you should have got rid of it last time. Like, yeah. And then also sometimes you just do things that like, you've ended up like, it's just, it just was a bad decision. You just scrapped something from last term just because you're so reliant on what you get next and what happens next that sometimes you're like, oh, that's that's earned me money and I don't, oh, now I, mean, I need to just get rid of it. Like, this is the other great thing. It. You can never be, you can never play in an entirely boring way, partially because the amount of money your uncle gives you at the start it can change massively. So if you're trying to get rid of £50, you'll play hugely differently than if yes. you're trying to get rid of £110. That's a major thing. But also, um, you just don't know what cards are going to come up. So it's a game of reacting rather than planning, which is enough to turn it from a serious worker placement game into just fun. So in the spirit of expansion annuary, let's talk about the expansion. Because clearly we've sold people on the game. I think it's great. I really like it. The um, but the, the expansion is really cool as well. Uh, yes, this is called um, Last Will, Getting Sacked. And it adds <laughs> jobs, because everyone has a job, and you have to lose your job, because your job gives you money every turn, yeah, which is awful. <laughs> like, I was really bad at losing my job, and it was so frustrating your, getting paid at the end of every your turn. Your boss at the library was... You were a librarian, I was a brewer. so lenient. I love the idea. The, thing, the idea is that because your uncles died, and again, <laughs> it's like... As I say, it's, it's similar to Ladies and Gentlemen, the fact that everyone's being a bastard, but it doesn't have any point to make about that in this, which is fine. It's just the fact that, like, it seems to me everyone else in the world is lovely. Like, your uncle was a nice man. Yeah. Your bosses are all lovely. Because your bosses just presume that you're, you're grieving for your uncle. So not going to work is not enough. Like, your bosses <laughs> will forgive you for that, because obviously you're grieving your poor uncle. When actually, 
you have to do specific things. So I think they must have done this in a reaction to stop people from just like playing, always playing the game in one way and mm. just focusing on one thing, like just focusing on property. Because yeah. that's what I did. I went property mad. But then it meant I, I couldn't get rid of my job. Yeah, it's, it's like I need to be caught um, doing something with a lady. I need to be caught at the theatre. I need to be caught having a fancy dinner. And it's like... You have to do all these things, and I just imagine it's like this sort of um, comedy sketch of your boss repeatedly discovering that not only are you not at work, <laughs> but you're like out at a Michelin restaurant or like you know at the opera. It's it is fantastic, and the um, yeah, it's it's just nice. It's nice from start to finish, from making the game more reactive to like the thing of okay, everyone take your paycheck, and the whole table goes oh yeah. <laughs> um, to yeah, just a slightly uh, so much of the game is in just having this picture of like, for example, I had a mansion which I immediately had a girl in it and a gardener. And every turn I would make sure to visit the gardener and the girl. And then it just painted this bizarre picture because then I got married and we weren't entirely sure who to. <laughs> like whether it's this gardener who's taking care of the place. Or, and uh, yeah, and that's the other thing the expansion has, of course, is just a few cards to do with marriage. And that for me is, is the selling point. It's expensive for £20, but God, I love the fact that the expansion adds just a bit more colour, a few more possible yeah. jigsaw pieces for you to tell yeah. your story in. The marriage thing was quite a big one as well. It, it did give you quite a different way to play it. Um, yeah, hunting for marriage cards than having essentially one big wedding on your turn that costs Yeah, pounds. you can basically like link them together. You can just be like, play four or four. Uh, Which like, is really thematic. Of course you can have a bachelor party and a wedding gift and a wedding. And a soiree. In one turn. Like, yeah, you can yeah. just be like, oh yeah, you can basically just have a lush wedding. Uh, but I love the way it's like you can then do it again, and it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. you're not married to someone else. You're just sort of extending it, and like your your second it, wedding. It, it just the whole thing is it just everything you do doesn't make sense, right? But that's what's lovely about it is it's like thematically like why would you go on a cruise and then have a party and then get married and then get have another marriage next week? But it's like you're just it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Like, you just need to spend this money. So it's like the idea of telling your wife like oh let's renew our vows, and it's like well we only got married two days ago. I know, but we had a wonderful time. Let's do it again, but this time on a boat <laughs> okay um so we can yeah we're gonna play last will a little bit more before doing the the proper review yeah which will be a ton of fun which will also like the big i think last will you can safely buy the question of whether to buy the expansion is the thing we're gonna have to figure out yeah i'm not sure about that either but um because um, it's just it's 20 pounds like yeah like most board game expansions it's expensive and that's like almost half the cost of a new game again yeah so that's a tough call but we'll, it is we'll figure it out uh, tell you what, another game which had us managing properties really badly that we just played, um, Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Castles of Mad King Ludwig. King Ludwig. So this is this has been getting a lot of attention last year. This is uh, Ted Elsback's sequel, kind of, to Suburbia, which was like number 13 on our list of best games ever. Suburbia is a game, of course, where tiles essentially come up on a market, they slowly get cheaper, and then players buy them and expand a big suburb. Uh, comboing these tiles off each other. It is astonishingly satisfying. And Castles of Mad King Ludwig is that again, except it's based on the real-life historical Mad King Ludwig. Uh, mad is kind of a slightly dodgy term to use because, you know, problematic words. But he was certainly eccentric. Yeah, I think he was just um, an awesome eccentric. He was, yeah. He and spent he, all his money on castles. He built not just castles, but like Disney fairy tale castles. And that's today the number one... Um, tourist attraction in like Bavaria if you haven't seen these castles oh my god Google uh, King Ludwig Castle and put that in Google image search and gawp at your screen for a while that's amazing yeah so this game is like suburbia with a couple of differences first off this theme is now you're building eccentric castles with like train rooms and dungeons and 
what was some of the like cheese built? There was developing. a lot of different things, and I think the interesting thing was we didn't see much of it. Like, no, which was kind of good and kind. Of, I mean, it's good for like replay value because it means if you don't look at all the pieces, it's kind of the th- yeah. The theme of it was really fun, actually. I think yeah, and your castles are just so sloppy, and the rooms never quite fit together because suburbia is well, all. Mine was pretty good. Actually. Okay, well, yeah. fine. Some of our castles didn't fit together and sprawl. So rather than Suburbia's hexagons, which are neat and lend to a very mathy game, this is more chaotic. The theme is more chaotic. And the big difference, actually, in terms of mechanics, unlike Suburbia, where you kind of get a conveyor belt of tiles and everyone's kind of watching that, like, airport going, oh, I want an airport, but not at that price, and then you pounce. Uh, one player each turn in Castles of Mad King Ludwig arranges the rooms by price. Mm. Uh, so, like, if there's a garden you really want, but no one else wants, you want to put that where it's cheap, but if it's too cheap, they'll probably just buy it because it's a good deal. So you have to arrange those rooms. Yeah, and that was really most of the game. I mean, like there was the, the thing I found interesting. There was two halves of the game. There was that, and the other thing I'll briefly mention, which is uh, the fact that because it isn't just uniform pieces, it means it is a bit higgledy piggledy, and it means you have to just look at the pieces on the table and try and work out by <laughs> if they will fit where you want them to. Because the thing is, if you wanted to, I don't think there'd be any rule against you picking up a piece and seeing if it fit on your oh, castle. Oh, that's so. But that, the that's problem is, wrong, yeah. if you do that, then the other player then knows that you want that piece, and if it's their choice to arrange them by price, then good luck getting that. <laughs> like, you may find that piece is suddenly very expensive. But no, a lot of it was about that. It was about trying to psych out other players. Because what I really liked is when it was your turn to arrange everything. You arrange everything in price order, but then as with Suburbia, things get cheaper each time that they've been there. Yeah. So it means some stuff that ends up being like, eventually, if people keep putting it in the prohibitively expensive realm forever, eventually it'll be like, <laughs> yeah, but it's it's still like half price now. What did we have? We had a lilac room. Yeah, it was a tiny little purple tiny room. purple room. There's nothing which, wrong with it. It was a good room. It but, was great, but we didn't buy it for 11 turns, and then eventually me and Matt started putting it as the most expensive room available, because if you bought it, you would make 6,000 marks. Yeah, it was like you actually made money from buying it. It was, I can't remember... But yeah, it was the problem was <laughs> it, it, at first it was quite easy, but then towards the end because so many things had so much money on them in our game anyway, it became this thing of being like, ah, oh, you're either stopping people from buying something that you know they want, or you're like just giving them something that means they earn money by yeah. taking it, which got tricky. But it was that thing of, of trying to work out the maths of it because it was like, well, we were both going after gardens because that was the the main. As with most games, you know, I have that thing of like, oh, the bonuses are. Yes. Guns and this. And it's Which like, is entirely randomised. Maybe yeah. King Ludwig wants like the most square footage of bedrooms in some games. And yeah. In this it was, he wanted a large number of gardens. Yeah, so we were, I didn't have gardens. Yeah, we were both going after the gardens. And it, it gets intense because the, the way it works is when you've set up the market of what each thing costs, then the way it works is that the other player, if they buy something for that market, they give you the money. But then anything you buy from that market, the money goes to the bank. So it becomes this weird thing of you trying to make sure that the stuff you want is out of their financial reach. <laughs> yeah, well, it, yeah. Well, no, the thing is, if, but then, mm. then you can't get it. It's really hard because it's like, if you want something, you need to put it cheap enough that you can afford it, but hopefully that they won't go for it. But when you know that you both want something, <laughs> you think, well, where do I put it? Like, Because I can't afford it, but then you can put it out of their reach. It, it was really, it was like, it sounds overly complicated, but it, it was just right. And I like the way that a lot of it was about trying to coax people. You'd be like, I know they want this, so I'm going to make it just affordable for them. Yeah. In the hope that they will go, you know what, sod it. And they'll spend like £10,000 and then, well, Deutschmarks, and then you'll get that money. 
So there's that thing of trying to like work out how much something is worth yeah, that Yeah, because if they go for the, the cheapest tiles, even though they don't want them, you get nothing, really. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You kept not biting as well. I kept trying to <laughs> tease you with stuff I knew you wanted because then... And also the problem is because they buy first after you set it up. Often you have no money and then if they don't buy something expensive, then it means that then when you've... You're at your own shop that you've set up, you can't really <laughs> buy anything either because you're like, I haven't got enough money anymore. It definitely... I don't know exactly how much I like that system because I think it's really clever. But I think the reason Suburbia is could be as complex as it was, and this is, for a start, a simpler game than Suburbia. I don't think it makes... Like, it invalidates Suburbia if you're worried about buying both, for example. Mm. Suburbia is more intense. But Mad King Ludwig has players looking at each other's boards a lot more and trying to do these loose estimations as to how many points the tiles are worth. Because the game you're actually playing with building your castle is like, you might put down a room, and this is very simple, like, oh, it's the Solar, which is, I didn't even, Matt had to tell me what a, a Solar was, which is some kind of king's sign of like... I think it's like where kings chill. I think it's like a, a okay. side lounge for chilling yeah. kings. So it was a room that got more bonuses if it was attached to purple lounges. I had a fungus room in my basement, which was good for fungus and would give me a point every time I had a food-related tile. All this thing. All these things, excuse me. Well, like some things you've got like a really loud room and it's like, oh, if you put this next to... Oh, like if you put this nice chilled out sewing area next to like a bedroom, it'll be worth yeah. less. And the thing is, you do the counting as you go. So it's like all the scoring is live. So I didn't really get struggle with the math side of things. It was, that was no, quite simple. I guess it wasn't struggling. But the thing is, both Suburbia and King Ludwig, and this is going to sound so petty, but they take up such a large amount of table space that yeah. you aren't really... When Ted Elspach designed Suburbia, you were only ever looking really downwards at your suburb. And that was great because your suburb was an astonishingly good puzzle and still is. They're releasing a second expansion for Suburbia like this year. But Ludwig has you looking at other people's castles and these are big things that are far away with very small text and it just felt a little clumsier to me. Like, mm. I'm kind of squinting across the table, which is a less... which aren't really what these games were designed for. But the, the bigger criticism that you and I both had is we... It wasn't really castles of Mad King Ludwig. It was like annex of the one floor of the castle of Mad yeah, King Ludwig. Yeah, I mean, the game did end a lot quicker than I was expecting it to. And really, it's tough to say because I think, if, but again, I played it differently. I mean, let's... And we, I'm sure we will play it. Yeah, it is, it is really good. It's really good fun, but it was kind of frustrating because it was like, I wanted to keep going. Yeah, me too. And the thing was, like, I was starting to build my castle, but I wasn't done. <laughs> like, I, oh, I, God, I had no. so many designs for this castle. Just the act of just gradually building a castle and, like, getting really satisfied in terms of how you'd use the space and how mm. things clip together. But also, like, starting to take pride in Yeah, your castle, like, tells stuff. this story. I had it this... surreal. You, you had a... <laughs> it was... We were looking at it at the end of... It, I've never had... A, I don't think I've ever had that with a game, really, when after we finished, we just uh, sat for about five minutes just looking at our castles. And almost, like, like mad... Well, eccentric King Ludwig would have done originally, no doubt, was sort of, like, marvelling at our castles. Right, what have we like, built? Oh, this, this is brilliant. This leads into this. Uh, yeah, there was a great moment where, because you start the game with just one foyer tile, and I was like, hang on, Matt, how do people get into your castle? And Because you'd walled off all the entrances <laughs> to your foyer. And there was this moment of being like, oh, no, wait, there's a study to the north. Yeah, you can enter. That wasn't the... a study. Oh, it was sorry. A... It was a... <laughs> I can't remember what it was. It was but... a very long word for study. Oh, uh, no. It's... Not study, like reception, whatever. The vestibule. Oh, my God. They yes. come in through the vestibule. Of course they do. Yeah. And then off to the, to, to the east, you have the kind of the garden village, lots of gardens all tied together. <laughs> and then off to the west, you have a theatre and you have like some kitchens and a sewing room. I think the first. Mine was like, the thing was, we looked at my castle and my castle was this sort of neat, quite contained thing um, that was 
Um, very much, it, it had like it, the crypt was off to one side, like, and it kind of made sense. Like, you had <laughs> the crypts would be down some stairs at the edge of the castle. <coughs> it very much looked like a castle, like where people might live mm. or entertain. Whereas your <laughs> castle, your castle was like a Dark Souls level. It was hilarious. It was like just spiraling off, like downwards, downwards. There through. was a really, really long corridor staircase leading to the fungus room. The, in the fungus basement. room, and, and then, then another was, was like staircase. A, another secret corridor leading to like the oubliette or the well, which was just like a room for oh, prisoners. It, yeah, it was like the yeah the hole. I think the it was hole. Like, it was just like all these manacles and stuff. It was like you've made a Dark Souls level. You've made, yeah. a, you've made a dungeon. And I definitely castle. had this. Like I had a throne room, which was great, but then. The throne room had there would there definitely would have been some secret doors involved there. And don't get me wrong, it's not like you end up doing this like because we weren't intending to build these, but it just ends up being like you just pick you pick the best pieces that you need to get the most points. Yeah. But then you end up naturally just creating a little story. Which is like, exactly that's what happened in suburbia, you know, because you'll do this thing where you'll go, oh, a burger restaurant. Oh, that, that's quite good if I surround it with residential places. Oh, and then you'll surround it with residential places over like six or seven turns, and then the player to your right will look at you and go. What have you built? And you'll realise that your town is like a McDonald's surrounded by eight hundred houses. For no, and then like beyond that is like a, a radio radioactive dump or something. Like it just tells great stories, and that's yeah. why I'm looking forward to the second expansion because again, more jigsaw pieces to tell these stories. I think the issue is is like I felt weirdly unsatisfied at the end of the game. I wanted to build more of a castle, but at the same time. Like, man, you got to have table space for this because we were just playing two <laughs> players and it wasn't a massive table we were playing on, to be fair, but it does it does, it does, feel like a game that really presumes that you are living in America. Or like, a castle. Or like a castle. Yeah. You, this is like a table space game. And uh, yeah, like, it, it was great, but I imagine playing it with more than two people, you're going to need space. Because also, like, as you found, like, my castle was quite neat, but yours was, like, spiralling. Yeah. You might end up having this awkward thing of being like, sorry, dude, you can't build any further north because we just don't have any room on the table. <laughs> like, I guess you could start to treat it like a map and be like, okay, well, that's there. And... I got some But of that, that would kind of spoil it. Some of that playing, um, uh, Sia, or Shia, I don't know how to XIA, Legends of a Drift System, this space game over the weekend because it's big hexagons of space and you can explore and <laughs> Explore in any direction, and I had a friend who just kept exploring the towards the table. Tables edge. are not infinite. And it was like, like dude, space. You and then he turned his ship round and started exploring towards like my player sheet. It's like, okay, now I have to relocate all of my ship HUD, <laughs> like all this shit. Stop fucking. With my there was a lot of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's good. It's, it's good. It to me, and this is like really early kind of review, but it would be like. Uh, my first suburbia like you play it and it's easier and it's quicker and it's more colorful but like the puzzle of suburbia like that is a satisfying game like takes longer but you feel a little tired at the end of it but you've you've tangled with a yeah puzzle. it's loose and i think the thing is it's a bit it's not really a criticism but it's the sort of thing where the way that the castle pieces fit together it's obviously cleverly done with like the distance and stuff so because the castle pieces like we probably haven't made it clear like these if you look it up online like they're all like there's like maybe ten different types of piece. yeah, ten different shapes and like and they're really different and seven or eight and different stuff kinds of room within each yeah. Shape. So yeah. it's like just just having an eye for will that fit, will that how will stuff fit together, what will I have room for? That's something I feel like you won't get an eye for until you've made, maybe played it two or three times, which makes it one of those games which is kind of frustrating because it's like if even if you're good at, at games, you can sometimes just somebody can explain the rules to you and you can go, okay, I can compete at this. Mm. Whereas like if you really want to win and you've never played it before, unless you've got incredible like spatial awareness skills, you will look <laughs> at the pieces and go, 
I don't know if this is going to fit together or not. It might. And sometimes just trying to put something in and being like, no, it doesn't quite fit in it's the way the I want it It's the thing of realising like doors don't line up. You feel yeah, like a crap architect of like... The yeah, doors aren't even like... It's not uniform in a way which makes it obvious that things will work. Yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, I'll give you a throne room, but to enter it, you'll have to go through the theatre and the workshop. <laughs> but I also think it might be a game that's more focused on the building side of things um, and less on the kind of... Because I found that a huge part of the game when we played it with just me and you was about this psyching people out bidding of being like not wanting to you don't want people to not buy stuff all the time and just go for the cheap stuff because then you'll never make money but then also you don't want to be handing people stuff that they really yeah. want for too few so it is basically it's like a negotiation game really but that was because it was just me and you playing and I think with even with it a was, third player you it was incredibly difficult towards the end of the game to work out how to structure the market in a way that allowed you to get what you wanted without or screwing over the other player. Mm. If you're playing with two other people, I think that element of that back and forth of like really trying to game that uh, would change and be like, because you can't screw over everyone at the same time. No, it might just be more like trying to come up with an actual marketplace. Yeah. Which, even more you so. know, you'd be like, okay, well, I'm not letting you get that and stuff. But it's, I think maybe we would have been less fixated on that element yeah. of it if it was more people but no, I've seen two games are intense two player games are always intense um, yeah. speaking of the last big exciting new release we played is Pagoda yeah. which I thought would be rubbish and it wasn't <laughs> uh, Pagoda yeah god how would you describe it It's this is a two player abstract kind of Euro game where two players are racing to compete Pagodas because the Emperor's coming and insert generic story here you're basically building Pagodas uh, yeah it's funny it's like uh I don't know, I've been trying to come up with a really good analogy for how it works, but it's it's hard. I think it's almost like the, the only one I've got, which is really crap, <laughs> is it's like, you're all working together, but you want to be the person who finishes it. So it's the equivalent of like, can we open this jar? Like, it's all very well. <laughs> it's all very well for you to be the person who says, yeah, well, I loosened it. You want to be the person who, who takes the jar and goes pop and opens it and goes, there you are, I've opened it. Yep, exactly. Um, Instead of taking a lid off, you're putting, putting a, lid a lid on. on. Yeah, so no, that's it, good. You can that be works. Yeah, that works. That's good. Well, it's kind of like that. And it's like you, you can go around and you can put down pillars. And you, when you've got four pillars, you can then... Well, you, basically, you put down pillars by having these cards. And it is yep. that kind of card game of you only actually get to keep two cards secret. But then each player has five cards in, in front, front of them. So it means you kind of know the majority of the other player's hand in terms of like what colours they can use. So it becomes this thing of being like, well, they've got quite a few reds, so I don't want to help build that red pagoda because then they're going to finish it and get the new level. Yeah. And so this is the yeah. nut of it. It's uh, You lay foundations for these pagodas. You place beautiful little pillars. Uh, each level of a pagoda takes four pillars. Then after that, someone gets to put the roof of that colour on and the roof will need a different colour of pillar on top of that. So for example, if Matt accidentally puts down three red pillars, I can go oh, put down one red pillar, another red roof, and then now it needs green. And that's great because I've got a ton of greens. And finally, the most important rule is pillars are worth points. That's really how you get points. But they're worth... More points the higher, the higher they are. So yeah. a level, like finishing a pagoda, you're getting four points for each card you play, whereas starting one, you're only getting one point. So it's hilarious because at the beginning of the game, you have five pagodas all being built at roughly the same rate. And as yeah. soon as one gets its first like roof, it yeah. just explodes well, That's the thing. And that's what I really liked about it is often with these kind of collaborative Euro games, you often find that everyone's just a bit too like... It's why I didn't like Takenoko is this idea of like everyone just being like, well, we get, technically we're all on the same board, but... You're pretty much just doing your own thing. You don't really know what other people are doing. No, the, sort of, Pagoda is... It's intense. It's like, it is, but it's just that thing of like... 
you, you, you start off and it's like fun, fun, fun. We've got purple foundations here, red ones here, yellow. As, say, as soon as you get a cap on something, as soon as it goes up a level, you're like, well, that's worth twice as much. <laughs> and then it means you just focus, focus, focus. And you're like, I've got to get as many on there and level it up. And then as soon as the pagoda is finished, after it's got like four levels, mm. you then put a cap on it and that's done. Then everyone moves on to a new construction site. And then suddenly you get, and it's we've said this before, it's so great when board games have an interesting pace. And pagodas yeah. is like slow, 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 slow. Suddenly you go down to being like, well, I can't get much money here. But then but then what's really nice is when you put a cap on a colour, you then, whatever colour set you finish, you get one of the powers for each yes. different colours. every level of a pagoda someone finishes. You don't get points, but you get a power. You get the power. And the power is like, you get two pops of that power that you can choose to use whenever you want. So it's not like a points bonus, it's like... Ah, so you can build up this array of like abilities that you can then use to do other stuff which will help you. And it's all really neat and really simple. And even the way that you know you put the cards down and it shows you how to put the cards either vertically or horizontally to represent what they are makes scoring it so easy, yeah. makes tracking it really easy. And it just could so easily have been a really complicated game, but it's really neat. It's elegant. Yeah, it's, it's tense, and the uh, yeah, and there are re you can have great turns. Like um, this is again another classic shot up and sit down line, but um, it's actually disappointingly rare for a board game to allow a player to have a turn where everyone goes, "Oh, that was good," and Pagoda does it. Like in Pagoda, you can I don't know say drop two red cards out of your hand that the other person didn't know you had, then he's most of his way to finishing a floor, and then he uses the blue Buddha power to drop two greens to finish a roof. To be a red card. And then and the, yeah. he now has the green power, the and he combos this stuff and just gets like a, 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 like a yeah. nauseating amount it's of points. It's never silly, it never combos into silly land, but it combos just enough to give you that satisfying, like, you push yourself like that extra stretch further, slightly further than people thought you feasibly could in that turn. And yeah. You can do things where they think, well, that's probably safe. He's not going to be able to finish that pagoda and that pagoda in that list round. And you're like, <laughs> Maybe I am. Yeah. And you suddenly pull something out your sleeve. I also like the fact that for each of the roofs of the pagodas, they all have different colours on them, but there's a finite amount of them, which means when you get towards the end of finishing a pagoda, it's like, well, you've only got blue and purple and red left. So you have to, to finish it off, you've got to use one of those colours. Yeah. And even the fact that at the start, it's all lovely. It's like, hey, we've got all these foundations. We've got a purple foundation, yellow, blue, green, yeah. red. You've got like one of each, pretty much. Because why not? You're getting rid of cards, you're putting stuff down, you're getting points. But then after a while, it's like, well, no, actually, look, now we've got two red pagodas being made and there's no blue ones. Oh, yeah, the thing we realised, because we're both bastards really early on, of like, Matt has a lot of greens. If I finish this green pagoda, he has no way to use green yeah. cards ever. So then you finish the green one and put more, another red. It's like, we don't need more reds. <laughs> it means you can basically, you can just block out a colour and then until somebody else can finish one, that colour just isn't in the game. And you know what else? Like, Euro games often have a reputation for being stodgy, but the best ones, like, uh, slight tangent, there's this idea that... Um, sort of German, Germany and German cultures are sort of like very, very sensible and risk averse. Like, that's not the case. Germany, national identity is efficient, but gambling is totally within the German <laughs> psyche. And the best Euro games, like, you know, Rannikanitzi is like lost cities. You have to make guesses as to what your opponent's holding. Like, yeah. Pagoda's absolutely a game of maths, but it's also, oh, I bet Matt isn't holding a red card. Yeah. Here we go! And then you are, and I that's go, no! That's the thing, is that slight element of chance of being like, if they've got another red card, I'm in trouble. It's really smart, and even like one of the things that I thought mechanically about it I really liked, and something that I don't think enough games do, is the way it has uh, like systems in play to ensure that the game pace keeps up. The way that like when you play oh, yeah. your turns, you have, you, like I say, you have the slots where your cards are supposed to go, you have the positions in which you're supposed to put them in, you do all that, 
and then it means that then, after you've done your turn, the other player can start having this, and, and then you can work out how many points you got. Yeah, it's great. Just even the way it's like, it doesn't have to be such a like strict turgid, and even the way we worked out that you could then, while they were doing that, you could play them fresh cards. Mm. We worked out that it's the sort of game where, after you've had a game or two, you can actually get a real, because it's just a two-player game, I'm not sure if you mentioned that, it's only for two people. Oh, yeah. Um, if you play it with a few people, two or three rounds, you could have a really tight system going. Like, mm. So actually, you'd be playing this game really quickly. I think that happens a lot as well. Couples often will have a board game that they play a lot. And then like watching a couple who've played 100 games of Carcassonne play Carcassonne is great. Because they have the uh, the patter down and they have the movements down. Uh, just uh, Yeah, this is, this is an important thing. Like If anyone listening to this is designing their own board games, something you will notice from just about... Any veteran board game designer, but very rarely from like um, you know uh, Kickstarter designers or first-time designers, you always want to give a player's options to them up front. It's why so many games are like at the end of your turn, you know, draw cards because then you can be mulling over those cards while everyone yeah. else is taking. Th- yeah. I mean, that's an elementary version of it, but yeah. You want to give the player all the tools they need to make a decision while other players are taking their turn. And it's why it neatly makes sense. I'm not sure it says it in the manual, but it neatly makes so much sense for the player who's about to have their turn to, to draw cards for the other player yep. because they need to see what you've got. It's not really about what... <laughs> it's like so much of what you do in your turn is not based on what cards you've currently got. It's what cards they've got because it's like you don't want to help them finish your pagoda. Yep. It is, it's lovely because it's that classic thing of it's like it is a collaborative game, but you... You absolutely want to be the person who gets the glory. It's like, yeah, let's build, the, <laughs> let's build this pagoda together. together. Uh, but I guess, I don't, know, I don't know, then you just want to sneak in and take all the glory. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'll help. You're building red. That's great. I'll build it. I'll put a roof on it. Do you have any green? No. Oh, I'll keep building. Don't you worry about it. You build somewhere else. It's nice. I really, really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Oh, the only thing I actually had a problem with it, and we both had this problem, but it may just be because we are human giants. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're both basically grasshoppers. Like the cards, those small cards that you get, like, and uh, the pieces are all quite giddy, and I just found like the motor skills required to to physically build the pagodas. I kept getting the fear that I was just going to slip and just knock over an entire pagoda. Yeah, I, def- I did notice that uh, everything in the box of pagoda, and you do get plenty for your money, could be twice the size and the game would be better. Like, yeah, the I wood mean, is small, the, the cards you're using are all half size. Like, it would. it's definitely a prime candidate for like, when you go to Gen Con, publishers have those super-sized versions of their games where you can walk around the board. It'd like, be great fun with that. But yeah, I just feel like if everything was slightly bigger, the cards, I don't mind little ones, but the little pieces, it's like, uh, I think I'm just, <laughs> I've got, we've got big hands. I think if you're a smaller person, then it wouldn't be a problem. Okay. Uh, well, that, so yeah, again, th- a series of Such a weird criticism. But no, I'm too big. All of those games were really, really good. I enjoyed them a lot. Uh, so in closing, we're going to try out a new feature, a new podcast feature okay. for 2015. Joe Faustine um, heard one of our podcast about um, Killer when... Uh, Paul and myself oh, and yes, me played the water gun fight last year. Holy shit. Uh, listen to that podcast if you haven't already. Um, but he was inspired to send us in a story of a game. And, uh, you know, often we'll solicit questions from our audience. But basically, this year, I reckon, because our audience are all pretty smart, if you've got a story you'd like us to share, or just an anecdote, or a game, like a folk game, that uh, that isn't necessarily on Board Game Geek, obviously, but that you used to play, we haven't heard of, send it in. Just uh, anything you reckon we can talk about. Uh, send us in on a cheeky email, email address at the bottom of Shut Up and Sit Down's homepage, and uh, and we'll have a read. So yeah, moving straight on, this was sent in from by uh, Joe Forstein from Maine, which is a state in the United States of uh, something. America. America, that's yeah. it. There you go. So he used to play this game called Dead Body, and uh, I'm going to skim read his, his email, but ba- <laughs> yeah, it sounds <laughs> said, great, right? He said this was sexy. 
This is kind of sexy, so you, you'll get to the bit where it's... I want to leave now. <laughs> you will get to... See if you can tell the point where this becomes sexy, okay? Okay. I'm, I'm, I've actually... I've crossed my legs in preparation. I am full of regret that you remembered I said this was sexy, because I'm going to sound awful now. But basically, <laughs> uh, so... Uh, you need an area, uh, like a large area, where a, a dead body can be yelled without incident. That's the first thing you need in this game. It must not be cold or damp, and it should be night and there must be multiple paths of travel within the area. So, for example, a forest around the back of someone's house, or like someone's garage, big empty house. Somewhere where you can shout, a dead body, without, uh, without causing, actual... causing alarm. Yeah, definitely not playable wow. in London or cities, but, you know, if you live in a suburb, you know, this is a cool game that you can play. Um, so the way it works is you have a group of people who all stand in a circle, right? I'm just going to put my phone down and start describing this to you. Okay. Someone walks around the circle in the style of werewolf and touches people on the shoulder. Right. One touch means nothing. Two touches means detective, and three touches means murderer. And then once you've all got this, you just hang around. You walk around, and uh, you just mill around the area. You can talk to friends, you can drink. It's kind of a party game. It's got that two rooms and a boom thing where you can use the area around you. However, if a player comes up to you, and you are all encouraged to walk around, maybe be alone. So maybe, Matt, you're alone in the basement, and, and I walk up, and I've been tapped twice, and I'm the murderer. And the way that I kill you, and of course this could be triggering for some people, play responsibly, etc., but in Joe Forstein's game, um, I would kill you by placing both hands around your neck very gently. That means As I've if killed to say, you. Yeah. And that means that player must then lie down dead. Like, actually lie still and be a corpse. The murderer can then leave. I see. You see where this is going? Yeah, good. So uh, then the detective, then when, once a player finds a dead body, they go, a dead, dead body. body! Then the detective players, and the murderers, of course, don't know who the detectives are, have to come in and just start quizzing friends. Where were you? Who found the body? All this stuff. <laughs> and of course, a murderer can kill someone and they'll yell, dead body. But of course, you have this amazing prop that your actual friends are lying motionless on the floor. Uh, Joe says these games, you know, tend not to go on for like longer than 20 minutes. Ideally. I say. But it's basically that this is the, the implicit agreement you have when you sign up to play this game. Is that you will then spend a good chunk of the party lying, lying on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Pretending to but be dead. This is the thing. I reckon I'd play it anyway. And this is, I just want to chat about what you think about this. I would totally play this because yes, there's a chance I'll be murdered first. I'll have to lie down, whatever. But he describes the most, the, the experience you get, like peak, the peak of this game. And it is so good. And he describes how like, you are walking around and you see like a bush or like a small ditch or whatever and six of your friends are lying in it dead oh, on top of each other. <laughs> and then just seeing what... that moment and going, oh God. <laughs> maybe especially if no one's yelled dead body and then what happens if you... Because then no one can hear. Right, and then maybe you turn around and you see a friend just walking towards you and maybe you yell, dead! And then he puts his hands around your neck. And you just hope someone heard you. And then also, but this is... What happens if you murder the detectives? Well, the game would end. I guess there would need to be a games master. Or the detectives would... I don't know. I guess they'd say, know. well, I guess you have to know how many detectives they are. And if they murder you, you go, by the way, I'm a well, detective. Well, yeah, would need to be a games master anyway, because someone's doing the tapping. But yeah, and then there are other like rules whereby the murderers can move bodies, which would essentially, you say to a corpse, Come I'm, moving, I'm moving, moving you now. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Exactly. And that's that's ultimately, that's the game. I thought that was pretty good. I think it's cool. I think it I has like potential. That. I like that a lot. Just the horror of like entering a dark room, turning on the lights, and there being a corpse. I was, I was terrified at the point at which that was sexy. I think it must be all of the people piled on top. Yeah, of that's what. I, that, yes, thank you. Good. I, was, I was worried. I was worried you were going to allude to the idea of like, so they're a dead body. They're just lying on the floor. They can't move. Oh no no so no 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 no. Just, Matt, Matt, Matt here's, what, here's what we're going. <laughs> you can just gently spoon them. Nothing else. 
It's just nice to have a hug. Imagine you're a detective and you enter like a bedroom and you turn it on and you go, oh, there's two corpses in here. And then one of the corpses goes, no, no, I was, sorry, no, I was just. <laughs> I just, I just spooning. It's nothing, it's nothing sexual. <laughs> nothing wrong here. I just like spooning. It's a nice thing to do. Jesus Christ. Don't spoon your friends. Don't spoon, what's the word? Non-consensual spooning isn't a joke, Matt. No, it's not. It's not. But consensual spooning is lovely. It's great. So uh, you should try that as well. It's not a game, but you could try it. It's it's quite fun. You, I can. You're sympathetic. It's not really fun. This. It's just it's just nice being like because you and I are both about six foot two. Um, mm-hmm. Problem there being you you very rarely get to be the little spoon. I'll never know what it's like to be a true little spoon. No, but you can be a pretend little spoon. Well, yeah, what, really with, your feet, yeah, with your feet poking out the bottom. Well, yeah, it's not really real, is it? But it's still nice. <laughs> it's not real. It's not real. As with most things in life, it might not be real, but it is nice. Yeah, must like my... Uh... But no, the murder game uh, sounds like a lot of fun. I think it's cool. I think it's cool. And I would love for someone to write in, having said, we played that game and it was awful for this re- I lay in a puddle for 45 minutes. If that's you, if that happens to you, please write in. I want to know about it. Maybe we could do a kind of... Folk- I'm kind of thinking we could do it like a dramatised a dramatized video version of it. it could be like if we, if we got loads of people round dressed up like it was a soiree and then we could have people filming on like little handy cams and it could be like the Blair Witch it would be oh, that dinner party could be a, that could be really good could be really good couldn't it I'm thinking now this could be this might be really ambitious for a feature but we'll see what emails we get but what if we do a kind of like folk game roulette where like every week on the pod every month on the podcast we share a folk game someone's written in and then next week we share a new one, but also share the reports of people playing that folk game. That's a good idea. It's yeah. a good idea. You know what? I'm going to post a link to all the full rules of this when we post the podcast. I'll work out a way to it do that. It does sound like a lot of fun. Just be careful where you're shouting, there's dead a dead body. body. Yeah, also be careful that it's not too cold and that no one I guess it's an easy way of doing it in the same way that like, I presume the reason in um, Cash and Guns you shout Banzai is because, well, originally it was because it was kind of kung fu themed, but I guess it's just also because it's like, you, I guess you've got to be careful what you start shouting whilst pointing. I don't know. It, just, it <laughs> seems like something that's like, that's not offensive. We can do that. Uh, whereas I assume maybe if you want to play this in somewhere where there's a possibility that shouting, a dead body, might cause actual alarm, you can just think of something else. Like, Well, this is the thing. When they did the um, the water gun assassination game that I was part of, the, with the first ones, I think specifically there was a guy who wrote a story in the West Coast of America that like people broke into his house and shit. Wow. And like were waiting for him in his house. So the version I played, it's like, yeah, you can't Don't break into break people's into houses. Ha- you, you think you wouldn't have to mention that, wouldn't you? Oh, dude, if you... When I was playing this game, if you spend two weeks trying to think of how to kill someone at their work, there's only so many times you can wait outside their office for two hours where you're like, I'm just breaking into their house. Yeah. <laughs> they signed up to this. Sod this. Laws are laws, I know, but... So laws are laws, but also the police would be like, that dude has been a proper dick and it's fine to break into their house. Absolutely. Man, we covered so much this podcast. We covered... Uh, lying on top of each other, spooning. All of the things. Uh, there were some games as well. There were. Thank you very much, everybody. If you have enjoyed us rambling uh, about board games and card games and all these other games, please do uh, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That's a nice thing you can do. Yeah, you can do that. Uh, you don't even have to write the like an actual review in the text box. You could just share your favourite memory of playing a game. Just write, this is cool. Yeah, uh, and also maybe you listen on Stitcher, you give us... Little cheeky little review on that. Do what you like. On the stitch. Do what you but like. But do that. But yeah, please do that. And uh, thank you very much for listening to everybody. Goodbye. Bye.